That's our testimony. So thankful for what the Lord has done. We look back to where we were, look back to where we would be if it wasn't for His grace, and yet we need more and more. And there's always more that He has for us because He is eternal, He is omnipotent, He's inexhaustible. And He's just desiring to unfold Himself even more than we desire it. Uh, One thing that comes to mind, Brother Bram said that it's going to take God an eternity to unfold himself to us. So we think of the millennium, a whole thousand years. Well, inside of eternity, that's nothing. And it's going to take God an eternity to unfold himself. I don't have a, a glimmer of an idea what that all is going to entail, but I'm looking forward to it. Amen. I'll let you be seated. God bless you. I was a little bit uh, taken aback last night when I sat down and I looked at my watch and I realized we'd been two hours. Now, I did take from three and parts of four messages and combined them into one. Today, we're only drawing from one message, so uh, it's, it's a longer message, but I've cut that down as well, but it's on the roll of the man. But uh, I just felt, my goodness, to, to feel the welcomeness that we did, the presence of the Lord, I appreciate that and the uh, perhaps the long-suffering of, of the people, we do appreciate that and pray that the Lord will... will. I, I felt like, as a teacher, you're planting seeds. They might not all come forth right then and there or the next day, but those seeds are there, and God's seeds are living. They are eternal, and they will bring forth... His word will not return to him void. And it's not the minister's job to make them come to life, we just got to preach them, but with the right spirit, with the right motive. But, but the word is, is, the, is the place and the source of that life. And, and so we, we recognize that. I, I did, as Brother Ed was closing the service, I, I, I kind of realized that there's one more aspect that I needed to just touch base for just a moment. I, I, I spoke early in the message last night about, because we're putting such a focus on the importance of marriage and what God has for it. And yet there are those that their lot in life is to be single. And God speaks to that. And Paul says, he never married. And he says, I would that all men were like me. And so I thought, I realized that I don't want anybody to feel second class or feel discouraged or get desperate thinking we got to do something. No, no. God's got a perfect will and a place for you. But yet marriage is an important part of it. And perhaps most of his children will go that route. And we certainly all can learn from it. But I also realize, and we, we spoke about the, uh, how that you don't want to be unequally yoked. We have that, that three-way relationship. 
And if that relationship is broken, the relationship between man and God is broken, then the relationship between man and wife cannot be what it needs to be. If the relationship between the wife and God is broke, then that relationship between man and wife won't be what it is. But if the relationship between man and wife is broken, their relationships with God is also affected. And that's one of the important reasons why we don't want to be unequally yoked. Brother Ram says, marry a believer. Marry someone that believes like you do. Has the same absolute that you do. It's important. But I also realize there are people that maybe got married before they became a Christian, and they're a believer, and their spouse is not. Or you can have someone that's married and someone backslides. Uh, there's lots of different scenarios. God's grace is still sufficient. And so I didn't, I thought, you know, I don't want to make that discouraged. Something like, yeah, I, you know, woe is me. I, I've, I've already, I've crossed the line. No, no, God's grace is sufficient. It's the same thing that, that as, as young people, we need to hold ourselves pure until the day of marriage. Unfortunately, in this day and age, and especially for people that maybe not even raised in a Christian home, but even some that are, they will cross the line and they will not be able to come to that, that wedding day as, as, as virtuous as they should. That's not God's plan, but God's grace is still there. And so I just want to make sure that we don't in any way, because we're focusing on this, but there's also these parts of God's provision for us. So I just wanted to make sure that I know as a pastor, um, sometimes you'll get somebody who comes in and he's focused on something and he leaves the, the local minister something that's got to kind of pick up some of the pieces. So I thought I wanted to make sure that I made that clear that, that uh, God's grace is sufficient and he knows exactly where, if, if you're his and, and God's called you, he will make a way, he has made a way and he will see you through. And so just, just walk with the Lord and, and, and walk in his grace and, and every footstep is ordered of the Lord. We just are thankful for that. Well, we're going to be speaking this morning on the role of the man. Um, one thing I need to just basically bring in as kind of, again, a little bit of a preliminary for the two roles, and that is what Brother Adam calls the double covenant. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but remember God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. Thou shalt not eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden and so forth, and they broke that. And so now in Genesis 3, I, I believe it is, there where um, God is, curses the serpent and then he speaks to Eve, because you sinned, here's the consequences. To Adam, because you listened to your wife, here's the consequences. And he made two covenants, one with the man, one with the woman. They are different covenants. And that's why our roles are different. Brother Bram says this in the evening messenger. He says, uh, God made two covenants, and, that, and that's even why the woman is to have long hair, the man is to have short hair. Because we're under different covenants that identifies that, that reality. He says, the Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. It looks like a woman. God made two covenants, one with Adam and one with Eve. He dressed them different. They're different altogether. They've always been different. There's two covenants right on down through the Bible. I'd like to preach on that double covenant one night sometime, show you what the difference is. Oh, my, it's tremendous. It's even in your marriage and divorce case and so forth. So I, I wanted to put that out there as one last piece of the foundation so what we're talking here now, the role of the man, we're talking about the covenant that he's made with man. This is, this is what God is, is expecting of us. This is what he's wanting and desiring of us. And this is the direction that he will lead us if we will follow his word and his will. But I'm going to take for our, our text this morning from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. 
And we'll also read from Ephesians 5.23. And let's just stand just to show respect to the Word of God, if you would. We don't want to do that out of habit or, or tradition, but we, we do it sincerely out of respect. 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I would have you know the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So when we're speaking of the role of the man, he is the head of the woman. That's in its most basic, simple form. That's what it is. In Ephesians 5, 23, we see it again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Let's just ask the Lord to come and be with us again this morning. Heavenly Father, we come humbly and sincerely before you, asking that you would have the preeminence here in our midst. Lord, we've come to fellowship around your word, and you are the word. And Lord, each one of our brothers and sisters has got that word living within them, that, that, that spirit of God that's on the throne in their heart, that lick of fire that they brought with them, Father. How thankful we are for that. Now we ask that your Holy Spirit would quicken the word as it goes forth in each one of our hearts. Lord, even though I've spoken on this many times, I pray that you would give me a, a, a greater revelation, something that I have need of even this morning, Lord, because that is the way that you are, that you, your word is living and you are a, a current, you are I am, and you have something for each one of us every day. Lord, it doesn't matter whether the focus is on the, the women. There'll be something for the men. If there's the focus is on the men, there'll be something for the women. If there's focus on the, on the parents, there's something for the children. That's the way you are. You're mindful of every one of us. So I pray that each one of us will come from here knowing that you've spoken to our hearts. We commit this to you. We give you the glory. We do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we want to speak, first of all, just real briefly, that the man is the head of the woman. And that's actually why the woman comes to the, the, the wedding uh, with her face veiled, because she is coming to be under the head of the man. It's not her head that's at focus, but the man has to be her head. There's many symbolic things like that. But Brother Ram says this in Is Your Life Worthy of the Gospel? He says, may you men that's got your wives... And let them be the boss of the house and lead you around. He says, may the God of heaven give you grace to set your foot down and bring that woman back to her right mind again. There's a lot said there. And realize that's your place in Christ. And then he says, not a boss now, but you are the head of the house. And so it's so easy for us carnally as men Oh, I'm the head of the house. I'm the boss. I'm, and we can take a selfish, carnal approach to it. It's got an element of God's truth to it, but it's not the way God necessarily intended or brought it. And so we realize that we are the head, but we're not the boss in, in that manner. In the message, just one more time, he says, back in the old days and so forth, he says, you never seen men that was afraid to stand up and afraid his little wife would leave him or something or another because he took the initiative. Well, men were men in them days. They spoke. They were men. They governed their house. They were the head of the house. And, you know, we see, I think it's, it's Brother Brown speaks on it quite a bit through the message, and we can see it quite clearly, how the devil has focused his, his attack, it seems like, on the sisters, the women. We know that that's where it started in the, in the Garden of Eden, and he says it's going to end up the same way. 
And we can see how the, the women are, are becoming more masculine. Their dress has changed. They dress like men. Their hair's cut. And you look on the world, you can see it all. But at the same time, men are getting more feminine and they're getting out of their place. They aren't being really what God ordained a man to be. And it's probably more prominent even since Brother Branham has left than, than what it was in his day. It was obviously starting to take place there. And, and I think it's a lot more predominant than maybe what we have considered. And so I really want to encourage each one of us as brothers that we need to look closely in the mirror. Where do we, where do we measure up to in God's word? Are we properly in the role that God has ordained to us? Are we fulfilling the covenant that he has made with us as men? We will answer for, for what God has, has brought to us and so forth. Now, it's interesting in that quote that we read how that man is to take the initiative. And this is one of the things that I find lacking probably the most uh, in, in, in marriage relationships when it comes to the man. Um, very seldom does the man take the initiative where he sees something and he makes decisions and, and he, he sets out a plan. It's a lot easier to be reactive. A problem comes up, oh, now we've got to deal with this. Another problem, oh, we'll do But we need to take the initiative. As, as we can look in the future, we can see what God's word says, and we can be proactive. We can, we can take the steps that we should be taking. That's taking the initiative. And that's one of the hardest things, and I can relate to it. It's a lot easier just to kind of, we live in a, a, a lazy age. And it's easy, that, that, that seeps into our, our very lives, our beings, our homes, our relationships. And man, there's so many things that we come home from a hard day at work or this or that. It might be emotional, it might be physical. And we just want to sit back and just kind of let the, the wife put on our slippers and you know, bring us the newspaper, whatever, those kind of things. And, but, don't remember, but don't forget, remember that we are the head of the home and we are the ones that are to take the initiative. So Brother Bam speaks about this. In Rejected King, he says, You know, a man's the head of the house as long as he takes his place. Okay? Now, that's why you want to marry someone that's a believer that has the word as their absolute because you can't force your wife to take you as her head. She needs to accept that also because the word says so. But we as a man have to accept and to take our place. I do know, and I've counseled many times this way, that, that if the wife is properly in her place, she can really help to put the man in his place. But it works the other way. If the man is properly in his place, he'll sure make it a lot easier for the wife to take her place. But we have to, as men, we have to take our place. He says, I like to see a man a man. A man's not judged by how many muscles he's got. That's beast. That's this flesh being. A man's not judged by the brawny muscles, but he's judged by the bags in the knees of his pants where he's been praying. He says, that what takes makes a man. That is taking the initiative. We see a need and we get to our knees and we pray. And then we get up there and we take action and we speak and we teach and we lead and we encourage and so forth. In the message expectations, Brother Bam talks about, he says, you know, you got to get off the devil's territory. He says, he says, we got to come back to God, come back to the altar, rebuild the altar again that's been torn down and build up your home. And I think we live in an age where there's too many altars that have, been, have, have, have fallen apart from neglect 
been destroyed by, by pressures maybe from, from this last age and so forth. Remember that the, the, the prophet had to rebuild that, uh, that, that altar to, uh, to, to make the offering on. That was the first step. And I believe he's saying that we need as men to take the initiative. We need to rebuild that altar in our homes. And then we can start to use that altar and, and lead because we are the priest of our home as well as the king, as well as the protector. There's many different roles that we could talk about, but we are the priest, and we need to have that altar. But we've got to take the initiative, and that altar needs to be rebuilt so that we can take our place and fulfill what God has for us. In the message token, and I'm, I'm taking uh, from the book, and I'm really cutting down many quotes that we could read, but in the token he says, Men, respect your wives. You respect your home. Bring your home together. Because you remember, this lamb was for the home, not just one. Going back to that first Passover. It was a lamb for a home. But it was the father that took and slew or slayed that lamb. And then it was he that applied the blood to the doorposts in obedience to the message of their day. And then that blood was there so that the death angel would pass over that home. They all were protected but it was the actions of the father in obedience to what Moses brought. He says, bring your home together because the lamb was for the home. So your role, my role as a husband, as a father, it will affect the whole home. We need to take the initiative. We need to step out and act upon what God's word tells us. That's taking the initiative. It's too easy, again, in this last day, and I, I see it more than ever, people that, well, all you got to do is listen to a tape. Or all you got to do is go to church and hear so-and-so. And, and, and that's, that's the extent of their religion. They just come and they're just listening to the Word, listening to the Word, listening to the Word, and they feel very self-righteous about it. And we must listen to the Word. It's essential. But if all we do is listen to it, if we don't put it into action, it's of no effect. We made the Word of none effect. We need to take the initiative. The word says this. Well, then, yes, Lord, that's right. I'll take that step. Help me, Lord. Act upon the word. Lord, you, you said this, so I'm gonna, by faith I'm going to venture out. I'm going to take that step. Amen. But it is a choice that we make as men. And it affects our whole house, our wife, our family, everything. Now, in Genesis 3.16, another scripture that's, I think, crucial on this, this is where he's giving the, uh, to the woman. He's giving her the covenant to her. He says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So while this is the, the covenant to the woman, it's speaking of the role of the man as well. That the man is to rule. Now that is offensive in this day. This is not politically correct. And someday they'll close these doors down and it may be because of things like this. You can see that cancel culture that's out there. All you have to do is just disagree with some of their, their pet little uh, theories or, or causes and so forth. And just because you disagree, man, they will shut you down. They'll close your company. I mean, they'll just, anything they can do. So I know that what we're speaking here is very awkward in this day. It would not, it would not be accepted in society today, but it's God's word. Amen. So when it says man is to rule over the woman, that is God's word. And yet, 
Here's what God means, and it's easy for us. We can go this way with it, and we're off of God's word then, or we can go this other way. You can get to one ditch or the other. It doesn't change God's word. We just got to make sure that we are in line with God's word. 1 Peter 3 tells us that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, my wife is, to me, incredible in the way that she is a helpmate, a homemaker, a wife. Um, I marvel at, at the things that she does. She's not here, so I can be extra, extra expressive, I guess. Um, she's never yet called me Lord, though. <laughs> I look at that and think, wow, that's quite a statement. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Oh, maybe our cultures are different. I don't know, but I hope we understand the, the, the concept there, her attitude towards him. So perhaps you won't physically call him, my Lord, supper is ready. <laughs> maybe we won't go quite to that extreme in the natural, although if you're comfortable with it, I'd say you're scriptural. <laughs> But, but you understand the attitude, the reverence that's behind it. That's the key. Now, Brother Bam says this in Position in Christ, which is the third message in the adoption series. He's been talking to the ladies. It's wrong for them to wear slacks and cut their hair. And he says, do you know it's wrong, mister, for you to continue to smoke and act the way you do? Do you know it's wrong for you not to be the husband of your house? Your wife get a little temper spell and kick you out the door and say, yes, bless your heart, honey, I'll come right back. How can you be a tender at the house of God when you can't even control your own house? That's exactly right. Do you know, sister, that your husband is not only your husband, but he is your ruler? God said so, because that the husband was not deceived, the woman was deceived. So the reality, the truth of it is, we are the head of our home, we are the rulers of our home. But not the way that the world would identify a ruler or the boss. See, there's where the problem lies, and it lies within message homes. I've run into it too many times where there'll be the trouble. I'll be talking with the wife, and then the, the, the husband, will, it'll come out that, well, I'm the boss. She's supposed to do what I say, period. Well, it's got truth to it. But there's something wrong with the way that you are approaching it. Something wrong, I believe, with the motive behind it. There's something missing there greatly. So when I'm using this, I, I, I'm setting this out here at the beginning. Man is to be the ruler in the home. I don't mean that in the way that the devil would like to bring it off into some fanatical in the ditch type of approach. But it's nonetheless the truth. It's God's word. And if we're not comfortable with it, because, because of that, we can have, a, as sisters, we can have a wrong attitude. Oh, I just, I don't, my husband ruler, I mean, come on. And we can let that, because of, our, of, of, of this last day, because of the culture we're in, because of all the th spirits around us, that can sit and just grate at us. That can just irritate us. If that's the truth, then you say, Lord, I know that that's, that is your word. And Lord, that's, that is the truth. Nothing will change that. And Lord, help me. I want, I want to be able to accept that and to, 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 to walk in the light of that word. But I'm not in any way endorsing something over here that's way off what God is intending. But that is still the truth. Here's an important part. That the man is responsible for his wife. 
And this, to me, is, is, is one of the keys in, in a, the relationship of a home, because with the pressures that are on the marriage in this age, they're wanting the woman to take the man's place. They want the man to take the woman's place. They want the woman to be the boss. They want the woman to be in charge and all these different things and, and so forth. And so they'll see their husband doing something wrong. And yes, we do. We fall short. If there's anybody here that has not fallen short as a husband, I'd like to meet you and let's go out for dinner and let's, let's, let's really fellowship. But no, we all fall short. That's why Christ, that corporal body is still there on that mercy seat. His blood is still covering. We need it every day. So the wife sees the, the mistakes, the faults, the failures of her husband. And so she wants to correct him. And most of the time, what she's saying is probably accurate. But it's not her place. And this what I want to talk about now is, is how that the man is responsible for his wife. The wife is not responsible for her husband. And I had to tell my wife when we were first married early, there was something I was doing that was, was inconsiderate. It was not right. But, and, and I was consistent, at least being inconsiderate. It happened multiple times over a period of a few months. We'd make things right, and a couple weeks later, there it was again. I was like, oh. But it got to the place where she was putting pressure on me. And what she was getting at was correct, but it wasn't her place. And I had, I, I, this came to me, and I, it's been a real help, saying, I said, Holly, if I would become an alcoholic and just totally fall, you will not be responsible for me. You won't answer for me. But if you are out of your place, and I don't do my God-given uh, take my God-given role and to bring the correction from the Word and to teach you, I will answer for you. Now, I can't force you to do what's right, but I must bring the correction correctly with the right motive, the right approach, but I will answer for you. If I do nothing, I, your blood is on my hands. And the same thing is for us as pastors, Brother Ed. If there's something in the, in the midst of the, the body of Christ, the congregation, the local flock, and we don't speak to it, then that blood of that congregation is on our hands. We'll answer for that. It's our responsibility to bring the word, and then it's in the Lord's hands, and it's between those people and the Lord. It's the same way. The husband is responsible for his wife. That's a powerful truth. That's part of recognizing who we are. I can't let that go unaddressed. I just don't want to make any waves, whatever it does. No, if it's something where correction is needed, you've got to take your home under control. You need to take the initiative. You need to, because you're responsible. Listen to what Brother Bram says. This is questions and answers on Genesis. Woman is subject to her husband. And the Bible said that a man should rule over his wife. He says, but they've changed that. The woman rules over the man. Now you stay home, John. You're not going. And that says it. Yes, my dear. See? But let me tell you something, mister. You're going to have to answer for your wife but your wife is never going to have to answer for you. You are head of the woman, and God is the head of the man. So coming back to the focus on the woman, as wrong as your husband might be, and as clearly as you might see it, when you realize that you don't have the responsibility to correct him, that you won't answer for him, that takes some of the pressure off. You can say, Lord, it's in your hands, and you pray for him. 
And, and we'll get into some things tonight in the role of the woman. But I, I just want to see that this truth, it's really putting the onus, it's putting the, the responsibility on the man. You've got to take the initiative because you're going to answer for your wife. But the flip side of that coin is I think that makes it a little easier for the sisters to realize, Lord, I know my husband's wrong here, but I'm not going to answer for him. But, Lord, I'm going to stand for him with, in, in prayer and, and just do all I can to, to intercede and so forth. But you don't, have to, you don't have that obligation that the man does. Questions and answers. Uh, he's been speaking about women cutting their hair. He says, and by the way, a man that will let his wife do that, he's guilty, double of it. Oh, so we're not only responsible, but we're... Now, that doesn't mean that the sister won't answer for her actions. We'll get into that. But if God's word says something, because that's a three-way relationship, that woman's got to have that relationship with the Lord directly. Much of the leadership will come through the husband, but there's got to be that direct relationship with the woman and God. And the man needs to safeguard that and to nurture it keeping it that just the balance that God has, keeping the circuits all working and so forth. But the woman will answer. So just because your husband lets you do something, let's say that you're in a relationship where your husband's backslidden or this or that, and he says, I don't care if you cut your hair. Fine, go ahead. Well, my, my husband will let me do it. Uh-huh. Uh, you'll still answer to God. See, it doesn't take that away. But if the husband does not take that responsibility for his wife, he's actually doubly responsible. His wife may answer, but he'll answer double for it. Because he's supposed to be the one that has the say-so in the house. Now, tied to that is, and we kind of alluded to it a little bit there, is that, yes, we are the head of the house. We are the ruler that God has established. We're responsible for our wife. But God is still her ruler above us. We are in a God-ordained place, and yes, we need to fill it. We need to find our position. We need to walk in that, act upon it with God's help, His Spirit with us. It actually should be God doing it through us. But God is her ruler above the man. And Brother Ram says that in many places. But in God of this evil age, he says... The Bible said if a woman cuts her hair, she dishonors her head, which is her husband. And her husband is the head with God. So she dishonors God and her husband. So once again, she's got, she's got a relationship with her husband, but also with God. And again, as we saw last night, that there's a pattern that God has in the home the physical, natural relationship between man and wife. It's a picture of the relationship spiritually with Christ and his church. We're going to come back to that many times in our, in our, our thoughts today. Um, but that's important there, too, that, that we realize that God is her head, even above us. And Brother Bram says that in questions and answers very clearly. This is August 30th of 1964. He says, Brother Branham, the Bible tells us that a wife should obey her husband. I am a Christian, and my husband is a sinner. He persecutes me in every way that he can, and for me not to go to church and read my Bible and denies the word, what should I do? He says, now listen, you're supposed to obey your husband. That's the word. Now, if he tells you and refuses you to read the Bible, go to church or something like that, you don't have to obey that. 
Because he that won't forsake his father, mother, husband, wife, or whatever it is and follow me is not worthy of mine. Is that right? He says, no. He says, a man's not supposed to use that authority over woman just because he's her ruler. And see, there's the carnal. And that's the way the devil does. He'll take the word and he will pervert it. He will misplace it. Well, you're her head. Well, then tell her what it's this and that. And, and you're using it in a wrong way, the wrong motive, the wrong spirit. So he says, a man's not supposed to use that authority of woman just because he's a ruler. God is her ruler above you, brother. We need to recognize that. That is her position in Christ. Yes, you are her head. You are her ruler. But... God is her ruler over you. It's kind of like that Roman centurion. He understood authority. Why did the centurion have the authority? He could, he could order those 100 Roman soldiers to do whatever he wanted. But now let's say you've got a general that's over that centurion. And those men heard the, the, the general tell the centurion, Now look, I don't want you to cross the river tomorrow. I want you to stay right here. And now they hear the centurion saying, okay, man, we're going to cross rivers. It's like, whoa. No, 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 no. The general said. And so the, the, the centurion's authority comes because he's under the authority. of the, And it goes all the way to Caesar. Ultimately, if that general gets out, there's, there's ten other generals that the, 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 the Caesar would send to deal with that one that's out of his place. Or that general can send ten more centurions to deal with this one that's out of his place. That's where that Roman centurion understood authority so well when he came to Jesus. He says, I, he says I'm a centurion. I know that I can command my men this. And he says, you just speak the word. You don't have to come to my house. He understood authority. He knew that because he was under authority, that's why he had authority. And as men, the only reason that we have the authority is because that is God's word, but we've got to be under his authority to have the correct and proper authority in our role. When we step out from under God's authority, now we are in a precarious place. And if what we are saying is contrary to God's word, our wife does not have to obey us in those matters because she'll answer to God above us. To me, that's critical. He says, and if your wife is doing something wrong, then you got a right to tell her, and she's supposed to listen to her. But you haven't got no right to beat her or drag her around in the house or do those things. No, sir. See, see, God made man a helpmate, not a doormat. Remember, she was your sweetheart. She should always be that. When it gets to that place where the man is, I'm the boss, you better do what I'm saying, the sweetheart relationship is not there anymore. Something has changed. Something's wrong. And yet, it's based on the truth. Yes, you are the ruler. Yes, you are the head. Yes, she's to listen to you. But it's also written. There's the right approach, the balance into that God gives us in his word. Again, from questions and answers. Brother Branham, I believe a woman should be subject to her husband. But if a Christian woman has a sinner husband uh, who does not even go to one of your services, wants his wife to be doing things, cutting her hair, wearing shorts, going to ungodly places, is this woman supposed to be subject to this man in this way? No, sister, you are not subject to such a person. No, indeedy. For this cause, you'll leave everything and cleave to God. 
If he's going to make you wear shorts, cut your hair, and do all these other things in ungodly places, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're not bound to such a person as that. And he goes on, he says, Paul said that as long as the unbelieving, or the believing wife has an unbelieving husband, so forth, he says, let the believing wife remain with the unbelieving husband as long as it's not contrary now to God. If he's pleased to dwell with her, go ahead, honey. If you want to go to church, that's all right, but I ain't going. I don't believe in it. Don't have nothing to do with it, but you go ahead, that's all right. You stay with him. You still respect him. You honor him. But you do what God says. You give unto Caesar what's Caesar's. You give to God what's God's. You, you give the respect that is due to your husband. But when it's in opposition to something God has said, God comes first. And if the husband is correctly in his place, he will be nurturing that attitude in his wife. He's going to be encouraging that and teaching her. That's not something we should be afraid of, brethren. Now... Again, the devil's saying, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then he'll try to get the wife way over to this side. Well, I think the word says this, I think the word says this, and this, and this, and just, and it could be way over there, and then disregarding things that she should be listening to her husband. So we've got to be careful. That's why we've got to know what the word says. Stay behind the protection of God's word. The devil, if he can't get you to, to, to see the truth, he'll get you to this side, and if he can't, then he'll swing you the other way. It's always that way. But he says... As long as it's not contrary now to God. If he's pleased to dwell with you, go ahead. I want to go to church. I ain't going. He says, you go right ahead. That's right. But when he says you can't do it, now there's a different thing. You're not bound to that then. You separate everything for God. Now, again, there's kind of the flip side to this coin. To where if, if your Adam tells you to do something that is contrary to what God has said, you're not obligated to that. Now make sure that you don't go too far and include things in there that really isn't what God said and don't use that religious excuse to disobey your husband. But if it's truly something that's contrary to God's word, you stick with what God said. The other side of it, if there's something that your husband is not telling you, that he should be telling you, and it's in the word, then you stay with that word. Brother Bam says that, and from that time he says, the Bible, you know that the Bible tells you it's wrong even for you to cut your hair, that you dishonor your husband when you do it. He says, um, you prove yourself as a woman of the street when you do such a thing. And because of the angel, he says, you should have long hair. What angel? The angel of the covenant. The angel, the messenger of the day, the seventh angel, which is sounding today. Then still know that you're wrong. Your Adam might have let you go ahead and act wrong, Eve, and say it don't make a difference. It certainly does make a difference. Every commandment of God is right. So if he wants to counsel you or, or, or to, to tell you to do something contrary to the word, you don't go there. If he fails to tell you something that's clear in the word, you stay with the word. Either way. To me, that, that puts a, a, the proper balance that we need. Brother Bam tells about how that he had this conversation with his wife, Sister Mita. And he says, he says, I want to ask you something. He says, who do you love the best? If it had to be a showdown, me or the Lord Jesus? He says, no, this is family talking. And she said, the Lord Jesus. She said, yes, Bill, as much as I love you, but before I would give him up, I'd give you up. I said, thank you, honey. I'm glad to hear you say that now. See, as a husband, that's what we want to cultivate in our wife is a relationship. that We want that relationship between her and God to be strong. And yet part of that, then her relationship, she'll realize that God has said that your husband is your head. And so she'll do that because the word says it. Not because you forced her to do it 
or you can argue better than she can, or, or you're bigger than she is. No, she's doing it because her relationship with the Lord and the Word of God has compelled her. That that's what the Word says. Amen. Then I'm going to do what the Word says. And so she'll put you in her, your place. She'll respond to you in your place that you've got to take your place as a wife and a husband. But part of our responsibility then is to make sure that our wife has that. That's not a threat to our position, brothers. She's our helpmate. We, we need to have everything working just fully and completely the way God has ordained it. Now, I'll just bring some things out here. If it's a word issue, then the husband is responsible to bring the word. Saying, honey, you know... I see you doing this. You know, God's word says this. And here it is. You bring the scripture. And Brother Bram said this. And you bring and you teach. And, and, and you talk about it. You pray about it. You lead that way. If the word addresses an issue, should I cut my hair? Nope. The word says such and such. Okay. That issue is solved. I mean, we know exactly what God's word is. What his will is. And it's settled. But there are Many things in life that are not what we would call word issues. And in those kind of things, then correctly, the husband is in a place where, as the Lord leads him, what he says is what the wife should do. And I'll just give a personal example that perhaps it only happened so that I could use it as an example, but there was a time uh, years ago when, when uh, next door to us, uh, the family there had two boys that were close friends with my youngest son, and they moved to a farm. And my older son got a job 20 miles away with the ambulance, and so he moved out of home to get an apartment close. Here's my youngest son. His brother's moved away. His friends have moved away. And he comes up to me and says, Dad, can I have a dog? Now, we've had pets before. I've had raccoons and dogs and cats and rabbits and whatever else. I'm not against pets. But they are a lot of responsibility. And they do limit you in, in, in a lot of ways. And my wife piped up. She said, I don't want a dog. Because I know what's going to happen. I'll end up having to take care of it all the time. I'll be the one that has to clean up after all of its messes. And all these things. And my first reaction was, yes, she's right. I'm going to stick up for my wife. And my, my first reaction says, was going to say, Aaron, nope, I, I just don't think we should have it. Because you're... But the Lord spoke to me. He says, Aaron needs a dog right now. All right, Lord. So I went to my wife. I says, Holly, I, says, I agree with you 100%. I believe that you're right. I think this is what will happen. But I believe the Lord put on my heart, Aaron needs a dog right now. He's facing a situation because of this and this. I think this, I just feel in my heart, this is what we're supposed to do. She says, okay. There was never one argument, never one objection. And it, her prophecies came to pass. <laughs> but she didn't gripe or complain about it. And after one year, and we, we tried to put as much responsibility on Aaron as we could. But still, she ended up having to pick up the pieces. And after one year... He didn't need the dog anymore, and he was getting to a place where the dog was a pain, and he was ready, to, and so we sold the dog. 
But for that year, he needed it. Now, the point I'm making, that wasn't a word issue. I can say, well, Brother Brown said such and such, and the Bible said such and such, and so therefore, it wasn't that kind of an issue, was it? It was something where the Lord spoke to me, and she respected my position and submitted to it. That's the way the home is to work. But now there are many things in life that are not word issues, and maybe the Lord doesn't speak directly to me. They're just a myriad, a multitude of, of other issues like that. And I'll use another example. We had our basement flood, and we had to redo the whole basement. And uh, by God's grace, we were able to improve the carpet, improve the wall coverings, and we just upgraded. Because I did the work, and the insurance covered it, and so forth. And so now the time came to... What color are we going to paint it? We had the old paneling down there before. Now we, we're going to paint it with, with gyprock. And what color would you like? Honey, what, what color would you like? She said, I'd like it to be white. Just white? Yeah, it's a basement. There's not very many windows. That'll help brighten it. It's going to look like a hospital. Are you sure? Yes. I really want it to be white. The Lord didn't speak to me. <laughs> I didn't have any scripture to go on. Well, honey, if that will make you happy, I want you to be happy. Let's do it. I said, but can I at least paint my office the colors I want? <laughs> and we did. And we lived with it for, I don't know, it was five, six years, seven years. And our basement flooded again. And we upgraded everything again. And we were at that spot again. And I was... Kind of with expectations, honey, what color would you like to paint it? I thought I knew the answer. She says, you know, I'm tired of that white. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and she picked some colors that were maybe a little bit more bright than I would have picked. But I thought, anything but white. Thank you. Yes. But my point that I'm trying to make is I wanted to please her. I wanted to give her the, des the, the, the desires of her heart. As long as it's not contrary to the word, and it's not contrary to something God has placed on my heart, then my desire is I want to please her. But now here's the other side of that coin. If the devil gets there and starts, the wife is aware of what's going, and now she starts to use that to manipulate her husband, and now you got trouble. And at that point, I think God steps in and says, huh? no, 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 it's just like with parents with children you got to sometimes know for your sake, I'm going to say no, because your attitude, your motive is not right, and that needs to be dealt with more than what you're asking for. But as long as the wife is in her place and, and, and proper in the relationships where it is, the husband ought to want to please his wife and to make her happy. God gives us the desires of our heart unless it's contrary to his will. And he's our type, isn't he? As husbands. So again, I want us to see that the man is the head, he's the ruler, and, and he's responsible for his wife, but God is our, 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 our wife's ruler over us, and there's different issues in our life and the way we handle them. Not every issue, well, this is what I want, so I'm the head, so that's what it's got to be. Uh, we're missing something there. Now, it's, it's come to the place where where would you like to go to eat? Oh, you decide. No, no, I, what would you like, honey? No, you decide. Okay, let's go to McDonald's. Well, what about such and such? Then I can kind of get it out of her. But 
she's wanting to please me and I'm wanting to please her. And well, that's the way it ought to be, but there's got to be some practical balance to it. You'll find that balance, but our motives are what's important here. Our desires, we're not using our position to benefit ourselves. So now, Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, in the same manner. In other words, we need to look, how does Christ act as head of the church? Does he force us to do things? No. Does he impose his will on us? No. He makes it clear this is his word, and we will reap what we sow, but all he does is he brings the word, and then we have to choose to submit to it. And there's many things where he will, as he said, give you the desire of your heart. Oh, God. You're, you're, you're a faithful son. Yes, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to let you, whatever it is, shoot a big buck or you know, something that would just please you. Our God loves us. He wants to please us. But sometimes we want this, we want this. No, 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 no. It's going to make you selfish and impatient. It's best that we don't let you have this now. We're going to, we're going to say no because that's what's best for you. He knows that. But wherever he can, he's going to bless us and in ways that we might not even anticipate. We are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So as we look at that, how does Christ lead the bride? How does our bridegroom lead his bride? Because that's our example. That's our, that's our pattern. So in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of God, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, Brother Bam speaks this, to dwell with them according to knowledge. We need to, and, and, and this is why I think it's, we could have had just the brothers here and we're speaking about the role of the man, but it's important that the sisters understand the role of the man also. And tonight as we're talking, because the better the sisters can understand their husband's role, it'll help them to find their role and to help their husband to be in his role, and vice versa. As the, as the better the husband can understand his wife's role, it'll help him to be a better head. You know, I, I'm thinking back because Brother Bam says the pastor is, is your husband, spiritually speaking, in a local sense. I mean, there, there's similarities anyway. Not, not everything fits perfectly, but, but there's a similarity there. And I just remember when Brother Dave Cook was in charge of our church, and I was a song leader, and I was a young people's uh, leader and a Sunday school teacher, and I worked shoulder to shoulder with him, but he was the one that, that made the decisions. I would express to him what I saw, what I felt. We disagreed at times, but he made the decision, and I'd work with him. And then the time came where he felt, and the Lord had already spoken to me, that, that I would be put before the people to be voted on to become the pastor, and voted in, and now our roles flip-flopped. Now, I was the one that was responsible, made the decisions, and I thought but by being in a submissive role, it helped me to be a better leader because I knew what it was like to be in this position. Made me more sensitive, more aware of, of what things did. And so it just blessed me to see the way that now Uncle Dave, Brother Dave, um, would take the role that I had had. He'd tell me what he thought, what he saw, and bring me whatever scriptures and things. And, but finally... It was my decision to make if it was that kind of an issue, and he'd support me. See, that's it's because of our position. 
we're recognizing our position. It's not because I'm smarter, I'm more spiritual, I'm older. No, it's, it's the position that God has us in. That's the key. We're recognizing our position in Christ. And we're asking God to help us to function in that position. And the thing is, every one of you has a position in Christ. Every one of you has a purpose in the body of Christ. Every one of you is subject to the various gifts. And the gifts are far more than speaking in tongues and interpreting and prophesying. There's a laying on of hands. There's the gift of, of exhortation, encouragement. There's the gift of helps. There's, I mean, there's so many things that every one of you, God uses in those positions. Intercessory prayer, different things. But you know what? Unless you recognize your position, you can just go through life, just kind of, you read your Bible every day and you come to church and then it's just, you just, 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 just kind of, you do that. But when you realize, I'm a part of the body of Christ. God is working through me to edify the entire body. Lord, what can, you, what can I do to help somebody? What can I do to, to help encourage the body of Christ here? You know, so-and-so kind of needs some encouragement. Send them, a, send them a cherry pie or send them a, a, an email with a quote. Or I mean, it could be a, a multitude of things. But when we have that, see, there's that working first with love, which brings fellowship, which brings the gifts. When we have that love for one another, it's going to motivate. So now we've got a purpose. We recognize we have a position in Christ. And so then we look to fulfill that, let God work through us in that manner. At any rate. So, we're to dwell with them according to knowledge. Now remember, he says, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Let's look to our husband, to our head. In the Ephesian church age, from the church age book, Revelations 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Now our bridegroom knows us perfectly. We don't have quite that same ability, do we, as husbands? But the pattern is there. He says, how beautifully the Savior praises and commends his children. He takes full account of their fine spiritual attitudes and behavior. He knows that there is weakness amongst them. But he takes full account of the good things and their spiritual behavior and so forth. At the same time, yeah, I know there's weakness. We see that with our children. Oh, man, my, my son, my daughter, this, this. Yeah, I know they've got some needs and some problems, but, but, but we're, we, we, we're aware of them. And as husbands, we're to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. We know them. So he says, he knows that there is weakness amongst them, but as yet, he does not cry out against it. Isn't that just like the Lord? He knows how to encourage us in the right matters and discourage us in the wrong matters. We could all learn a good lesson right here on running the church and our families. Amen. This one I really appreciate both as a pastor, but also as a husband and as a father. It is so easy to, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, you do this and be very, very legalistic, very dictator type ship. And it's, it's correct. Stop doing this. You were wrong here. You were wrong. That's easier for, for probably most of us men, it is for me, than to also, we need to encourage them. Man, that was a good job what you did over there. I appreciate that you shared your toys with, with the neighbors when we're talking to our children. You know, looking for things that we can, can encourage them and to praise them and so forth. That's, it's not just correcting, 
and teaching. It's both. And so we need to dwell with our wives with knowledge. This is how God dwelt with us. He knows our good points. He knows our weaknesses. He knows when to encourage the good points. He knows when to discourage the other. And there's a balance. Sometimes timing is, is a huge part of it. What we're saying might be correct, but maybe that wasn't the right time to bring it out or the right place to bring it out. But I just like this balance that Brother Brant brought there. That's the Ephesian Church Age book. It's on page 81. So it says, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Okay? We're to give honor to the wife. What does that mean? Well, Proverbs 31 tells us a virtuous woman, her price is far above rubies. How many brothers can say amen to that? We need to honor her, don't we? We take that for granted. We, yeah, yeah, and we look past that. Uh, No, we need to honor her. So Brother Ram says in Life Story 59, he says, A good woman is a jewel in a man's crown. She should be honored. My mother's a woman. My wife is their lovely. I've got thousands of Christian sisters who I highly respect. If they can respect what God made them, a motherhood and a real queen, that's all right. She's one of the best things that God could give a man was a wife. Besides salvation, a wife is the best thing if she's a good wife. If you've got a good wife, brother, you ought to respect her with the highest. That's right. You should do that, a real woman. And children, if you've got a real mother that stays home and tries to take care of you, keeping your clothes clean, sends you to school, teaching you about Jesus, you should honor that sweet old mother with all that's in you. You should respect that woman because she's a real mother. So we need to honor our wives. Yes, but yeah, she's got the strong points. She's got her weak points. Encourage the strong points. Correct the weak points. But make sure that you got the right balance, the right motive, and God will help you. But we've got to see that. We need to dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife and as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, the point is, and we looked at that earlier, We are under a dual covenant. Right now, man is the ruler of woman. When the Lord comes, that won't be anymore. We will no longer be the head. We will be co-heirs, co-equal. So that awareness, that reality ought to affect our relationship with him now. Saying this, this won't always be this way. Right now, this is my role. So because that's what God has ordained, I'll do the best I can. It's not because I am deserving of it. It's not because I'm more qualified. It's just this is God's will. It's his word. I'm in submission to it. My wife's in submission to it. And together we we submit to the Lord, to one another, as he declares. This picture came to mind. In England, Prince William and Prince Harry and probably every prince that was before them, they have their time serving in the British Army. Oh, that's the future king. Yes, your highness, what may... No, the sergeant treats him just like one of the recruits. He's got to, because he's got to whip him into shape as a soldier to be able to face battle and the hardships. If he doesn't train him correctly, that prince is going to suffer for it, won't he? So he is going to do exactly what he is commanded and required to do to be a correct drill sergeant. But sometimes those sergeants can get out of their place 
And they can treat their recruits in a wrong way, taking advantage of their position and abuse them. But you know what? I don't think that probably takes place when they're dealing with the prince. Because he knows that one day, this prince that is now under my authority is going to be the head of the army. And if I abuse my position now, I'm going to pay the price. So I think that helps make him a better drill sergeant and that relationship what it needs to be because he sees the big picture. And I think as husbands, that helps us. Honey, I'm in this position not because I deserve it. Many times... Okay, sisters, cover your ears. Many times the women are smarter than their husbands. I didn't say that, but... Many times they will see things that their husband didn't see. And I can testify to that. There are many things in my church that the people... Oh, Brother Paul, that was so... My, we're we're so appreciative of the way that, that you saw this, you did this... Yeah, my, my wife brought that to my attention, and uh, I prayed about it. I said, yeah, that's right. That's it. It's not always initiated with me, and I appreciate the input. Now, I'm the one that makes the decision, and I don't take everything that she puts, but if she brings it correctly, many times she says, you know what? So-and-so is going through this. Oh, really? Well, then let's give him a call. Let's, 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 let's invite him for dinner. Let's have him over to our house and say, yes, let's do that. She was the one that was aware and sensitive. She's my helpmate. I need her. But I'm in the position of head, not because I'm a be-all and do-all and know-all and I'm qualified and I'm smarter and I'm this and I'm that. No, that's because God placed me there. And I know as a pastor, there's been many times I'm preparing for a service, and and maybe I haven't been as diligent that week as I should have been. Maybe I got preoccupied with things that I really should have put aside, and all of a sudden now it's like, oh, Lord, I'm running out of time, and what am I to bring for the people? And I'll say, Lord, forgive me for, for, for not being as diligent as I should have, but for your people's sake, they need something. You've placed me in this position. They have a, a right to expect something through this office. Lord, for their sake, would you help me? And he's faithful. He comes. And he brings something. My motive is, Lord, my reputation's going to be affected. I mean, no, no, that's got nothing to do with it. It's for their sake. You've placed me in this position. I I remember, I know many times, and this still goes on. I'll have someone come for counseling, and they'll be sitting there, and they'll pour their heart out, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't have a clue what to say. And I'm praying, God, you got to help me. I don't know what to say. I mean, I've had some doozies that have come. And it's on the phone from from all over sometimes they'll call. That's one of the repercussions of having this book out there. Then they think you're the expert on everything. And all I did is put some quotes together. Brother Paul, what do you think about this and this and this? I've had, I've had, well, a Muslim woman sold to her husband by her father when she was a young child. Didn't want to. Raised a family. She gave her heart to the Lord and her husband divorced her because she was now a Christian. Brother Paul, can I get married now? Because I didn't willfully get... <clears throat> 
I know what my heart would want to say, what my desires would be, but what does the word say? And just you're faced with no, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd face some of those questions. I'm not going to tell you my answer either. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, there's been many times, and I just recognize and say, Lord, I am helpless without you. But you have called me to this position. This person is, is pulling from you with the position that you've given. So, Lord, for their sake, honor their faith. Honor your word. Help me. And there'll be one little thing that'll come, and I'll start talking on that. Before I know it, there'll be a quote in the scripture. And by the time the end of, the, of our conversation, it's like, wow, where did that come from? I had the things. And I read, it was just God. Not because I'm so spiritual, but it's the position. As husband, it's the same way. If you'll recognize your position in Christ, saying, Lord, my wife needs real leadership here. I'm not qualified, but you've put me in this role. Lord, for her sake, for our sake as a family, help me. How do I approach this? What do I say? And if you'll come with that kind of humility and that kind of looking to God, he'll use you. He's the one that puts you in that position. When God calls a man, for he fully equips him for what he's called him for. But we have to be surrendered, humble and surrendered to him so that he can do that. If we're kind of thinking we're something, we're trying to do it, he'll just say, all right, that's fine. You're on your own. Until we recognize, I can't do it, Lord. I need you. Humble ourselves. Then he'll work through us. So to me, to realize Dwell with my wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That knowledge helps that reality so much more. I realize, yes, for this moment, that would be like you leave the house and you say, okay, while I'm gone, uh, Angela's in charge. Okay, well, that's temporary. When I get back, she's no longer in charge. Maybe next time say, okay, no, Katie's in charge this time. It's just temporary because the dad said so. I'm the head of the house because God said so, but it's not always going to be that way. It's for this period of time that we're living in. So right now, God help me to function what you have called me to be. Romans 8, 16, 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. We as a bride with our husband, right now he is our head, but, but there's coming a time we're going to be joint heirs with him. He is the firstborn among many brethren. Right now we are in this state of being redeemed or waiting for the day of redemption when this body will also be redeemed. But this isn't the way it's always going to be. There's going to be a time when we're going to reign with him on the throne. We're going to be joint heirs with him. That's in the spiritual relationship. The same thing down here. There won't be male or female. There won't be the head of the wife anymore. We'll still be husband and wife, he said, but different than what it is down here. But down here, we need to be found diligent, faithful to what God has called us to, either as a husband or a wife, as a father, as a mother, to our children, and so forth. Brother Rand this says this in questions and answers. Understand, he says, talk to your wife. Understand one another. Be a real Christian gentleman, real Christian ladies, brother and sister with one another. Always remember you're God's children and you're from a royal family. That's why I like this illustration with Prince William and Harry. I don't have a lot of respect for them as people, 
As a matter of fact, when I took my citizenship pledge, you have to pledge allegiance to the queen, I didn't say that part. I just couldn't because I don't respect as a person and what I see there, but I respect what she represents. And yes, as a nation and so forth, but, but to realize we are, my wife is part of God's royal family. And she realizes that I, as her husband, I'm a part of God's royal family. See, that awareness makes it different. It's when we lose sight of that, that's when we get out into those wrong places. He says, show what you are. I'm a son of the king. I'm the son of the king. My wife's the daughter of a king. How would I treat that king's daughter? How should she treat that king's son? See what I mean? He says, be real genuine. So you're dwelling with each other, with, with your wife, according to knowledge, giving honor as a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You must be born again, Brother Bram says. He's boss. He's ruler. Now, I don't mean a floor mat. I just said a ruler, a helpmate, not to kick women around. They're not, not to be a boss, but to be a helpmate, part of you. She's sweet and kind and tender. You should lead her around sweetly because she's a part of you. You go to mistreating her, then you're mistreating yourself. And a man mentally right won't do that. So we are, to, we are obligated to bring our wife back to her right mind. But we better be in our right mind when we do it. And you know what the right mind is? The mind of Christ. If we don't have the mind of Christ, we're not in our right mind. How does Christ rule his bride? By the word. John 17 says, while I was with him in the word, I kept in my name. He says, I've given them thy word. That's how he ruled us, led us, was our head. Ephesians church age from the church age book. He says, now I want to say that I believe in leadership. But it is not the leadership of men I believe in. I believe in the leadership of the Holy Ghost coming through the Word. And immediately the devil steps in there and says, Oh, so we don't need men anymore. We don't need teachers because the Holy Ghost is going to teach us. And uh, now, see, we've, we've, we've gotten out of the stream of God's Word. He goes on, he says, I believe also that God has set men in the church. Men who are gifted by the Spirit, they will keep the church in order. I believe that. I believe also the church is ruled over by men that God sends to take charge, but that rule is by the word. So it is not men really ruling, but the Spirit of God, for the word and spirit are one. Brother Bam says, when the man leaves the word, he says, you leave the man. That's why, husbands, your wife is to submit to you as unto the Lord. That's why if you, if you tell him something, God's her ruler above you. It's the same principle in both of these aspects of, of, of the relationships. Hebrews 13, 7, remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. See, that's correct godly rule is by the word. That's what we've got to do, whether it's as a pastor or as a deacon or as a husband, as a parent, because even you sisters, when you're leading your children, it's by the word. Leadership, follow me. He says, the opportunity of choosing, that's one thing God gave us. He don't force nothing on us. He lets us make our own choice. So you have not to be forced, just make your own choice. Another place he said, God never sent Brother Neville and I to be bosses. Not at all. We're just your brothers, the instructors in the gospel. Taking sides with Jesus. I really think that and believe and teach that men, God has made men leadership of his church. That's his people. God forever has always placed for men to keep his church fortified by the word. 
And I like this one from Kinsman Redeemer. It kind of puts it all together. The real truthful preacher that'll put it before a class of people. You make your decision. You stand on your feet. The lukewarm, wishy-washy, in and out won't say that. But a real servant of God will lay it on your lap. Make your decision. See, we will answer. If we don't bring the truth, then we're responsible. But once we've brought the the truth, and Brother Bam says now, he says, your blood is not in my hands anymore. I've delivered to you what the Lord gave me. Now it's in your hand. It's in your lap. Whether you receive what Brother Bam brought, it's between you and God now. He did his part. That's a leader. That's a shepherd. That's a husband. That's a father. It's the same principle. Painted face Jezebel, he says, if you ain't man enough to take up and put your own house in order, God be merciful to you. Because the Bible said in the very beginning that he shall rule over thee. Now she's not a doormat now. She's your sweetheart. But you should sit down and talk to her and reason it with her and tell her and read the Bible and pray together. See, there's correct leadership. It's by the word. As Christ, who is the word. Now, Ephesians 5, we've read this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. So just as Christ is the head of the church, and husbands be the head as Christ is the head, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Once again, he is the pattern. He's the example. How did he love us? How did he love the church? That's the pattern that I'm given to follow. So you can read from 1 Corinthians 13. It tells us what love is. Charity suffereth long is kind, seeketh not her own. Oh. Not self-seeking. And that's where too many times we as men make a mistake. We're using our position for ourself. That's not real love. That's self-seeking. doesn't mean that we just do whatever the wife wants. No, if it's a word issue, you stand with the word. If God speaks to your heart, you do what God leads you, and your wife should honor that. Pretty much everything else, I try to, to, to make my wife happy. Unless I feel that things are getting out of balance, then I say, no, 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 no just we need to get things back into cater where the respect is there. It doesn't happen very often, but we have to be sensitive to that. But charity, love, doesn't seek her own. Romans 12, 9 says, let love be without dissimulation, not pretended. Let it be genuine, heartfelt. He says, be kindly affection one another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. See, that's real love. We prefer one another. And yet that doesn't mean that we give up our position, our responsibility. No, we act in the position that God has given us, but in every way we can, we prefer one another. And that works on every relationship that we have. We live for others. And yet, as a parent... We have responsibilities. We can't just forget them, but we want to be respectful of our children, show them the love and so forth. So what about Christ's love? Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Greater love has no man than to give his life. That's what he did. He gave himself. That was his love being manifested. Philippians 2 tells us how that, that uh, he says, Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. Why do we take communion monthly with foot washing under normal conditions? We do that. 
It's a reminder. He gave us an example to serve one another. He says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. But if I, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, made myself a servant to serve you, you do the same as I've given you an example. Did that in any way detract from his lordship, his headship? No. Did that give them any right to to look at him in any way condescending or, or, or less respect? No. And so for a husband, I, I like to put it this way, is that Christ was a servant leader. A husband, we need to be servant leaders. A leader, yes, but what's our motive? What's our priorities? We're a servant. We're doing it because we're serving the Lord first, but we're also there to serve our family, to serve our wife. As unto the Lord. Thyatiron Church Age, he says, talking about how those that demanded to be served, they pressed the people and so forth, sinking always be at the head, went down in shame. He says, look into history, you'll find the ones that truly gate were those who served others. He says, now let us apply that to ourselves. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, so we are to follow that example. See him as he bows himself over the feet of the apostles and washes their tired and dirty feet. He says, you don't know now what I'm doing, but you will know hereafter. What you see me doing, you ought also to do. He says, it's hard to be always a servant, but those who spend and are spent for others will one day be seated with him on his throne. It will be worth it all then. See, that's why we have to recognize our position. This is what God's ordained us to be. We are here to be as he did. I want to love my wife as he loved the church. I want to be a servant leader. I want to be an example. What is eternal life, Brother Adam says, is living for others. If we're not living for others, we don't have correctly eternal life, do we? I, uh, before I marry a couple, I always sit them down for a little counseling session. Started off about 20 minutes, about an hour and a half now. As things keep getting added, oh, they need to bring, I need to bring this. I need to make sure they know this. Because I don't know what, if they come from another church, I don't know what they've been taught. If they're new, I don't know even if they've sat in my church. I don't know what they've caught themselves. Or they're just sitting there in their mind wandering. So I want to make sure that you're aware of some of these things before you enter into this great adventure. This great blessing God has for us. And I found this scripture And it kind of made me chuckle, but it also has a real important point to it. Deuteronomy 24, 5. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall be charged with any business, any responsibility. But he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. I thought, what? My wife has been blessed. She has me for her husband. She doesn't need cheered up. She's got everything, every reason to be happy and excited and thrilled. I think that's the masculine attitude that we just kind of have without thinking of it. But think of it. She gave up her name. She may have left her home, her town, to go to be with you like Rebecca. Rebecca. Think of all the things that she has given up 
to you and now has put you as head and submits to you and everything. She needs encouraged. She needs cheered up. God knew that. And so I've told brothers, I said, look, right now you both love each other so deeply and all of it's just this wonderful romantic feelings and things. You can't imagine things. But you know what? In a few days, weeks, months, whatever it'll be, and the routine of life sets in there, and all of a sudden you're at work and she's at home all by herself and things are so different and you come home from work, there's going to be some cheering up needed, encouraging. Dwell with her according to knowledge, in honor preferring her as unto the weaker vessel and realizing that one day you'll be heirs together in Christ. But he goes on, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. And this giving, Brother Bram says that, he quotes from John 17, For their sakes, Jesus said, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Brother Brown in the Message Fellowship says, I think the sweetest scripture there is in all the Bible is this scripture. Father, I sanctify myself because of them. He was a man. He could have had a wife. He was a man. He could have had a home, a place to lay his head. He'd, he'd write to that. He was a man. He could have had good clothes. He was a man. But what did he say? Father, I sanctify myself for their sake. In other words, he gave up things for their sake. What was he doing? He was training up 12 disciples that were going to preach the gospel in all the world. He gave or put an example. He washed our feet. Another example of him for their sake. So that they can learn from me what they need to be able to do in what I've called them to be. But he says, sanctify yourself for them that you're going to lead. Brothers, you've been called to lead your wife, to lead your families. Sanctify yourself. Cut aside all this worldliness, all of this selfishness, all of this carnality. You've got to sanctify that. If you're going to lead them, it takes a saint. Christ did it for those he was here to lead. In what the Holy Ghost was given for, he says, Brother Bram saying, let me go here first to sanctify myself and make a way for the people that my own sins, my own neglecting be under the blood, my own shortcomings be under the blood, that I might walk out and say, follow me, people. I hate to see a guy say, you go do it. I like to see somebody that will lead the way to do it. Husbands, we need to sanctify ourselves. That our sins, our shortcomings are under the blood. And that we're following Christ's example so that we can lead those that God has called us to. And I want to just take just a moment here. And I want to, to sidetrack into a related issue here. We had... Where are we at? Okay. We've had young couples meetings last year. We had, I think, four of them. And in talking with the young couples, they kind of felt left out. They were no longer part of the young people's meetings. And they just were missing something. They wanted, they wanted to fellowship, and they wanted Bible studies. They wanted, you know, those kind of things. So we did that. It was a wonderful time. It was hard sometimes to make it fit, you had young people's meetings, and you had these and this, and then to fit them into the schedule where everybody wasn't too busy, but it worked out. And one of the first things that we dealt with, and it was, I could see it hit home with the men. And I want to bring it here. 
because I believe it's, it's true. Paul writes in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Are we there? What's the first thing that he says? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I says, brothers, in counseling with couples, they're having troubles. I says, one of the first things that I've really learned is that, brothers, we are selfish. He says, yeah, you, me. You come home from work, and you're tired, and your wife says, hi, honey, hi. And we sit down, and, and we're playing games, or we're doing this, we're doing that. That is selfish. And we start getting into it. We aren't thinking about our wife's needs or our kids' needs. We're thinking about our needs. That's selfish. So we started looking at selfish, and I had quite a few of the brothers come to me, Brother Paul, that hit home. That is exactly what I needed to hear. I, and, and it made a difference for them. So all that we've been talking about kind of led to the background of this, to find our place properly as a servant leader and so forth. We can't be selfish. Five Tyrant Church Age says, it says concerning the last days that because of abounding iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. Remember, the neglect of love is what caused separation in homes, in churches. In the Laodicea in her last age, self-love, selfishness, and love for material things will take the place of the true love of God. We need to guard against the power of sin in these last days. So many are getting so hard because they haven't realized the effect of this last day spirit. We don't realize the effect that this selfishness is having on us, on our relationship in our home, and in our relationship with God and in the church. Is we are so self-centered we're not really recognizing and fulfilling and, and taking the place that God has ordained us to. We're serving ourselves, and we expect, well, I'm the boss, you're to serve me. Yeah, that's true, but it's also written, as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it, he made himself a servant. And that did not detract from his leadership. Divine love and sovereign grace spoken in Prince Albert. He says, as I see this great day appearing that we're now living in, where the selfishness and indifference amongst people, human beings, tribes, it grieves my heart. He says how that love would be a strange thing in these days. Victory Day, Sierra Vista, he's been talking about selfishness and, and versus brotherly love and humility and stuff. He's been talking about Cain and Abel. Cain was proud and selfish. And he says, that's what and it leads to greed and jealousy. That's Attributes are tied with selfishness. I deserve this. It's because we're selfish. We say the words, Paul said we must die daily. Die to self. What does that mean? Die to your selfishness. Humble down and, 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 and be like Christ. Give yourself. Live for others. That's dying daily. 
putting down what I want, my desires, my priorities that are not God's priorities. Just die to those things. Don't be so selfish. That's what we've got to see. But he says, that's what starts the trouble. There's where trouble begins. That's where the broken vows, there's where broken fellowship separates. That's the thing that breaks up homes. That's the thing that starts the wheel moving towards divorces. That's the very thing that breaks the fellowship. He's been talking about selfishness, leads to greed and jealousy and so forth. Perilous times. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Enticing spirits. Little old tempers and everything else that keeps you down. Say, God, I don't want anything no more. I'm sick and tired. I'm ready to discard it. Dying to self. He says, I want to get away from all my selfishness. If my brother doesn't treat me right, I'll pray for him anyhow. If my daddy doesn't treat me right, I'll love him anyhow. If my wife doesn't treat me right or my husband, I'll go about humble before God. He says, I want to get away from all my selfishness. Or she didn't treat me right. He didn't treat me. Uh-huh. And I deserve better. I'm concerned about me. It's like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they're failing their position, if I'm selfish, I'm going to be offended. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to lash back. And the problem just escalates and grows. If I've got that Christ-like spirit, especially as the head of the home, then I'll take my God-given place and say, Oh, God, forgive my wife. She didn't mean that. And then I'll take down quietly in the right time and say, Honey, and we'll talk about it. And I'll bring it. God's word says this, and that's the leadership. But selfishness, I deserve better than that. You were wrong, and I just, okay. But that's not the way Christ does it. I'm amazed. Brother Bram talks about that selfish arguing spirit. One place he says, I seen somebody that was wrong. He says, and he says, that selfish spirit he says, I ought to go correct them. He said, that was a selfish spirit. Thought, really? I didn't really identify that as being selfish. Well, yeah, because I ain't no better, and I'm this, and I'm that. It's, it's self-centered, isn't it? A person who lives their life for themselves lives a selfish life. We must live for others. Each day I want to live not for myself. If I live for myself, I live a selfish life. I want to live for others and give what strength I have, not to myself, not to my own pleasure, but for the benefit of others. Husbands... We need to be a servant leader. We're there for our wife, for our family. Yes, but I seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added. I'll guarantee you, if you properly nurture your wife and encourage her and strengthen her and do everything else, then she'll be in her position and there'll be a reciprocation. She'll she'll, she'll minister to you as God has ordained her to. A wife can be selfish too, but right now we're speaking to the men. And I see this as, as a, real, a real common issue that we battle. So I want to leave that with us. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. He, no man has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. The Lord nourishes us and cherishes us. Husbands were to do the same. And I'm just going to have to cut things short here. Smyrnian church age, he says, he was a father king. He took care of Israel like a man takes care for his family. He fed them, fought their battles, smoothed away their difficulties, settled their problems. He just busied himself over them. That's nourishing and ministering to. 
We could talk about how that we need to have that family altar. We need to build up the altar and have that family altar in our home and to teach. There's so many things. And this is one that we won't spend a lot of time on, but it's probably one of the most important. We need to pray for them. And not just say, now I lay me down to sleep. God, watch my wife and children. Amen. But to pray for them. Luke 22, the Lord said, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. Wow. John 17, I pray for them. I pray not, and that's for you and I. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He says in Healing of Jairus' daughter, he says, if Jesus had to spend much time in prayer to stay in fellowship with the spirit that was in him, that's a statement. The fullness of the Godhead bodily in that one vessel. And as a human being, because he was all man and all God, as a human being, he had to pray much to stay in fellowship with that fullness of God that was in him. If he had to do that, he says, how much more do you and I have to spend in prayer? Much time in prayer, if you only knew what time in prayer meant. Way of a true robber says, it's our business to pray till our children are saved. Keep our house in order. Expectations, don't, just don't get down and say, bless my family, Mary and Joe and John and all that. He says, no, sir, stay there with God. On and on it goes. And I think we've run out of time. But the last thing that I was going to speak, and I'm just going to put it out there, we won't get into the detail, but we are a watchman. I want to spend a little time so that you'll understand enough and maybe this will be something that will spur you to search the scriptures and the message to see what God says on these things. But Jesus Christ is the watchman. And then he sends messengers to the age who are also watchmen for their age. He sends pastors to a local church. They are a watchman for that church. As are the elders also. They have their places. And in a home, the husband, the father, is a watchman for that home. Now, is it because he is such a much more qualified person? No, it's the position that he's in. He's up in the watchtower. He can see things because that's the position that he's been placed into. I want you to see that. It reinforces some of the things we've been saying. You know what? Maybe his eyesight isn't even as good as somebody that's down there in the town, but he's been the one put into that position, and because of that position, he can see things out there that these others won't see. I've got some things I'm going to bring tonight that will build on that a little bit, but here just recently with this COVID, we've been doing everything we can to abide by Caesar's requirements. In Saskatchewan, we are required to, it's not recommended to sing, but if you must, then you must wear masks. And my thought was, Lord, I'll do everything else, but I just, just don't want to do that. And so we didn't. Then there was a full gospel church up in Prince Albert that they had 
special meetings, and they had 107 cases come from that meeting. And the media got a hold of it, and they were singing without masks, and they were doing this, that. And the Lord spoke to my heart and says, you know what? You need to start wearing masks. I sure don't want to do that, but I just felt in my heart. I felt the Lord put that in my heart. So I brought it to the deacon board. Two of the brothers said, you know, the Lord's been putting that on my heart this week as well. The other brother said, well, we're good with that. If that's what your brother feels, we're, we're, we're with you. We think that's right. So that was a Sunday night. We made the decision. Everything was in place for Wednesday night, and we started requiring the mask, and we sang with it. That's nice to come here. You don't have to wear them. Pray that it doesn't come this way. But you know what? Even when we have to, we just, we don't, we do our best just, Lord, this is not going to affect my worship. I'm just going to, I'm going to overcome these things that the devil would like to do. We're going to, if, if my hands and feet were in a stock and I'm in a prison like Paul and Barnabas, I'm going to sing and praise you anyway. Well, you can't clap your hands. That's fine. I'm going to do whatever I can. And that's kind of been our attitude with this. So at any rate, so I was out hunting mule deer on Thursday. They had that first meeting Wednesday night with masks for singing. And I had a brother call, was one of the, the real staunch brothers in the church. He said, Brother Paul, he said, I just, he said, I just can't do it. He said, I think you made a wrong decision. He said, I just don't see how that, we, 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 we can't do this. He says, I can't enter in. He says, it's just, it's just wrong. He said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be divisive. I'll go along with what you and the, the brothers feel, but I just wanted to let you know, this is what I see. This is what I feel. So well, I appreciate that, that you would have the courage and the the Christian gentlemanness about you, that you would come and share these things with me. But, you know, I, I really feel this was the Lord leading me this way. I says, I got a call a half an hour before you called from the health district. They're coming to inspect our church. So I believe the Lord was warning us of something that was coming. And because I was in that position of a watchtower, I think that's why the Lord brought it to my attention. That church in Prince Albert was fined $14,000 and closed down for I don't know how long. I said, I don't want to be closed down, and I, don't want, I surely don't want to waste the Lord's money on $14,000 of fines because that's kind of the standard fine, I guess. I said, I think the Lord was using the position. You don't see it. You're down there. I understand that. I didn't see it before, but all of a sudden it was like, I see something coming. I see something coming. And you know what? The day in question was the very Sunday that we made the decision. That was when, because we had four people in our church ultimately that came down with COVID. And we had 60 people because of proximity and association had to quarantine. Didn't happen at church. It happened at work and it happened in family gatherings, but they were in the church. And so then they came to the church. They inspected us. They went through everything and again, I, I, I think that the Lord just led us. I was talking with my head deacon or head trustee because he was the one that had to deal with the, with the inspection because I was down hunting mule deer. But we, we felt the Lord just pressed on our heart. When they come, here's what we'll do. And this is what he did. They came to the church. He said, he said no, here's what we do. We have the people, they have their masks on from the car, they come in, we have a deacon here with the gloves on, he opens the door so not everybody has to touch the door, lets them in, we keep distancing between the different family groups, they come here, there's a hand sanitizer, they go to their pew, social distance, and they, they sit down, they take off their masks, and then when we start to sing, we put our masks on, we've done that once, 
but this was our policy, and we, this is what we do. And then when we're done singing, they take it off. If they have to get up to go to the bathroom, they put their mask back on. And when we leave, they put the mask on until they get back to their car. Oh, marvelous. Now, if he'd asked, so how long have you been doing that? We'd have been in trouble. <laughs> were you doing that on the 18th? We'd have been in trouble. We just said, let's tell them this and just pray that the Lord will just, that that'll be sufficient. And the Lord was gracious. They just said, wonderful, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do, and on and on. And then they went and inspected all of our communion procedures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We passed with flying colors. I think that God honored the watchmen. I was in that position. There was something that was brought to my attention. Not because maybe I'm more insightful or this. I just because the position I was in. And those deacons, the same thing. They were in their position. God was speaking to their hearts. Husbands, God has placed you in a position. If you will recognize that and take your position, God will use you. He'll work through you. But make sure that you do it as Christ did it. Our motive and our objective. The musicians would come. I want to just bring this to a close here. Watchmen, what of the night? Ah, let's go one for, uh, previous. That Israel at the Red Sea. He says, the father was the priest of the house in the old sanctuary, the old time. The father always was the priest and he had to watch over his household. The father was to watch over his house. He killed the lamb, he took the hyssop, put on the doors, and so forth. But he was to watch. Watchman of the night, he says, The watchman was the man that went up to the tower in the city way high. He was higher than all the footmen because it was his position. So God has called us to position, and he will use you in that position if we will humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to what he's called us for. So the two closing quotes. One again comes from Watchman One of the Night. He says, God said in the Bible, take heed to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you a watchman over. Be sure that they're fed with the right food, making ready for the coming of the Lord. You make sure that your family, your wife, your children are feeding on the things of the Lord. And you don't let those worldly things, worldly music and worldly entertainments and stuff come into your home. There's a price to be paid for that. And if you're correctly in your position as a watchman, you won't let that. You'll take your position as a leadership and you will lead by the word. You'll sit down and you'll talk with them. You'll show them the word. You'll pray with them. And, but there's no compromise. Like Brother Branham with his son, Brother Billy Paul. He says, son, he says, I know you're out there, you're smoking, you're drinking, you're gambling. He says, I can't have that in my home. You're at a crossroads. You've got to make a choice. If you go this way, you're going to have to find someplace else to live because I can't you have you in my home. If you're going to stay here, then you've got to leave these other things. And he let Brother Billy made his choice. He was 16. And he went to live with his grandmother, I think. And he paid a price. He brought him back. The Lord brought him back eventually. But he paid quite a price. But once again... Brother Branham, this cannot be in my home. It would grieve the Holy Spirit. I have an obligation. I've got a position that I, that I have to be responsible for. As husbands, as fathers, we've got to do that. Last one comes from Thinking Man's Filter. He says, this is a mystery, how the women should be in respect to their husband. 
Okay? It's a mystery. Even the second place, I believe, in the entire Bible that reverence was ever spoke of, said the women, seeing she should reverence her husband, reverence her husband, then a husband ought to live such a life before his wife that his wife could reverence him as a son of God. I think that puts it to, together quite well. I pray that these things, again, I, uh, I cut it down, maybe not as much as I would have liked to even, but nonetheless, I pray that this will stimulate you to search the scriptures. See what God has spoken to you as husbands. Take your place as Christ. Recognize it's got to be Christ through you. Make sure that your motive, your objective is right, that your spirit is right. Don't let it be a, an opportunity to, to feed your selfishness. Live for others. That's what our leader did. I wonder if we could sing that little chorus as I turn it to Brother Ed here. To be like Jesus. On earth, I long to be like him. Brothers, that goes really well for us, doesn't it? Because we are to love our wives, to be the head of our wives as Christ, like Jesus. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, on earth I long to be like Him, all through life's Stand together, please. Yeah.